I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We're two landscape designers that have been in the field for well, very well, over 25 years. You think we were like dead. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I feel like we are. (laughs) Well, through our podcast, Digging Deep, we're going to bring to you these years, well, years of uh, experience. And our stories and, and foibles and mistakes, anything that we can do to help you and your family create an incredibly wonderful, functional, usable environment. And now is the time. You know, it's, I mean, here we are giving you information. And if, if we weren't doing this, you're going to have to pay people to give you information and not necessarily good information. So true. What we're telling you is stuff that we've learned over the years, the mistakes we've made, the glories, the joys, all that. And so um, today we want to talk about what's going on in our area. And I can't imagine it's not going on in your area as well. And that is dealing with shortages. And shortages of every every kind from um, product to availability of contractors, big th- um, which is really important. I mean, it's because of COVID and because of everything going on in today's world, there, we're, we're stuck with a lot of unusual shortages. Yeah, and not just shortages, but price hikes. So yeah. I'm sure you must know the price of lumber nearly quadrupled. Now, I hear it's going down a bit, but still, um, you know, if you put if you had any extra lumber and you put it on your, uh, you know, that Craigslist or something, you can make some serious income. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, I've got a personal experience that I can I can relate to. We're we've been remodeling for over a year now, but our new floors were put in, and the contractor put plywood pieces over the new floors so that as they're working on it, they don't scuff and and ruin the the new floors. And we were just talking the other day and he said, you know, plywood used to cost him $12 per sheet. And when he was done with it, it was so cheap that they would, you know, haul it off to the dump or give it away. That same plywood, not fancy plywood, but that same plywood is costing $60 from $12 to $60 for a sheet of crappy plywood. And right. so basically he said to me, I'm not getting it, giving it away. I'm putting it in a warehouse and storing it. He said it's $60 a sheet. It's like gold. Oh yeah. If you buy three quarter inch ply and those are sold in four by eight sheets, they're $90 a sheet right now. So um, it's really crazy. And then um, with concrete, now neither lumber or concrete has left the planet, but what's happened is the supply chain getting it the workers trying to get it. So the cost of everything has gone up quite a bit. And if you were anticipating putting in a pool, you got to (laughs) wait. Right. And a lot of what they've talked about is exactly what Roberta was saying is um, it's not that it's disappeared. It's that, um, for example, certain certain items that make concrete, certain items that make uh, a job are sitting um, in cargo bags, cargo and then um over at the docks waiting to be shipped waiting to be unloaded and because of the labor force has been so depleted there's no one to take it on put it on the trucks there's no one to take it off the ships there's no one to take it out of the cargo holds so what's happening is it's just sitting there 
Right. And the problem is with this last year and a half of COVID and everybody working at home, that's when most people have decided to renovate and renovate their landscape. And it's a time where it's very hard to order an appliance and get it delivered. Right. I mean, if you try to go and buy a a refrigerator, they're going to tell you um, that you may have to wait four months. In fact, another possible another interesting thing is furniture. So this was really interesting. And I don't know if you heard this, Roberta. I was over at one of our local nurseries, which is expanding. And they also not only do they sell plants, but they also sell furniture um, and some really beautiful designer furniture. And I was just out there and I, I was talking to her on uh, about Memorial Day and uh, at one of the stores. And I said, how was your Memorial Day? She goes, oh, my God. One day alone, we did over $30,000 worth of sales on furniture. She said, but the bad news is, and she said, and the people, they, they had to put up with it. Um, we told them that the soonest that they'd get the furniture would be December. Yep. That's, uh, I'm sure you're talking to Kathy. Uh, yes. Of Donnie yeah. Kathy, yeah, she told me the same thing. And um, yesterday, or no, the day before yesterday, I was with a client, and he said we've called three hot tub places, and no one will deliver for four months. Right. Now, so it's, it's insanity. It's it's and we for, with our remodel, um, we were. I went to the interior designer that I, I used to share an office with, and I said, you know, coming up, I need to buy some furniture. And she goes, well, you know, there's a delay. And in the past, I knew you'd have to wait, you know, like uh, ten weeks, you know, like with three or four months. And she goes, oh no, Michael. She goes, you're talking about ten months. And I said, well, I need a couch. And I said, I can't sit on the floor. And she goes, the only recommendation I'll make, and this is this will be valuable for anyone, is she says, go to a store that you like. And they said, if they have, and if you see something you like, and they happen to have a warehouse where you can buy it, at, buy it, and they have it in the warehouse, buy it. Because if you're going to try to order something, you're going to wait. You could wait anywhere from four to six to eight months, and you'll be sitting on the floor. And, and she's absolutely right. Yep. So if you are in the midst of remodeling indoors or remodeling outdoors, um, it's a time that's going to require patience. And I know as a designer, both Michael and I, um, we generally get the complaint. We're the complaint department. Yes. Yes. Why is getting done? Why are they showing, you know, why is the concrete take? And so it's just a time where all we could do, there's nothing we could do except say, this is what's going on right now. So we want to be really clear about what's going on right now. Right. And this is this is a phenomenon. And it's, it's, it's happening right now. But it's not that it's happening just to you. It's happening to everyone. And, and Roberta's right. I mean, we become the complaint department and people call and they complain. I had one client, the job was beautiful finished, complete, you know, and again, it goes back to the furniture. And um, uh, she happens to be, my wife's a physician, and she happens to be one of her colleagues. And she said, Oh, my God, the landscape's absolutely gorgeous. We love it. She goes, one problem. She goes, we've ordered furniture. She goes, we have, it's been three and a half, four months, and they tell us it's not coming until October. She goes, We've been bringing card tables that we had and chairs. She goes, we have this beautiful yard, beautiful new environment. We have nothing to sit on. We have nothing to eat on. We have nothing, period. And um, and again, that's the situation. And, um, and I told my wife to tell her that it's not just her. It's everyone is going through it. And I think it helps if you realize that it's not that it's directed at you personally. It's that everyone is in the same boat. 
Right. And um, in most cases like that, it's not a matter of incompetence. However, and I'm stepping out of line here, but here's what's going on. Because there's so much work, so much work, and it's so difficult to find experienced workers in the landscape. Right. Alone, project managers that the contractors are hustling to hire people to get the jobs done. And because they're so busy with so many jobs, usually the main contractor is not on the job as much as they need to be. And these workers uh, need guidance. So what I'm finding is that just between them not knowing everything to do, the heat, all of a sudden we turned on to 109 degrees and turned off again. It's just a mess. It's just such a difficult time right now. And we're all trying to get through it. So, so have patience. But um, that is another thing. So if you are working with a, a team of landscapers that have been, you know, the same crew for years, that's wonderful. But if you're with a contractor and there's new workers, you know, you just need to be your own um, project manager, you need to be out there watching things. And I'm sorry to say it, but it's just what's going on right now. And you need to walk through the project and make a list of all the things that need to be fixed or redone. And she's absolutely right because what it, it it's true. It's because it's, there used to be a glut of, of people to hire. And now um, they hang on to anyone they can, but they, they bring in these new, new people and who talk a good story, but it's like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. They they don't know what they're doing. And so what happens is the general contractor or the contractor that's running the whole job, because they're working so hard on other things, they're not there to supervise as well as they used to. And so what's happening is things slip through the cracks. So you as a homeowner need to go around and make a list. It's like, this is cracked. This doesn't work. This irrigation system isn't working. The clock isn't turning on. The heads aren't covering. You need to do that. You need to go there and, and check everything and then take it to the attention. I, I would write a list. And uh, it's a to-do list and go over it with your general, with the, the contractor that's running the job and make a list for yourself, make a list for them and stay on top of it. And don't be afraid to hound them and be a pest because the truth is you may wait months. And by that, during that time, if the irrigation, the sprinklers aren't working correctly, your plants are going to die and you're going to be responsible for them. And I know it sounds like, well, I'm paying all this money. Why should I have to do it? But you know what? It's just an extra measure, and it's just the sign of the times. Now, Michael and I have been doing this for so many years that, Michael, you, I'm sure you remember that before 2008, people were putting in massive hot tubs with you press a button and large, dream, large screen TVs came up. Yes. And Home Depot had a whole different store just for places where you could buy bathtubs $10,000 and up. Yes. And Pool companies were putting in big pools and pools with what looked like natural rock and blah, blah, blah. All of them went out of business. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, that's true. It's true. They, they all went out of business. But the ones that lasted were the ones that, you know, it's like the snail and the rabbit. The ones that have been plodding along, doing what they do, knowing what they do, and having crews are the ones that lasted and um, continue to last. So um, right now, if you think you've got a crew that's not doing what they should, you got to understand right now it's a very, very difficult time. And as long as um, I never use contractors that don't warranty their work. So you also should be looking for contractors that, that are not only licensed and bonded, but 
they warranty their work, the plants, the lighting, the irrigation. Right. And then the big thing is, is that that um, you need to, you know, as I said, you you may have to stay on top of them and explain to them what 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 needs to be done, because the truth is what happens is they're so fractured that they're on one job, then they start another job before they finish one job. And the reality is all these little things um, may not seem like big deals, but when you put them all together, then they become a big deal. So you you can't just say, oh, it's, you know, that's a little thing. It's not that important. Oh, I'll wait for that. Well, eventually you're waiting and waiting and waiting. And some of them do have warranties, but um, by the time you wait and they fix it, the warranty's up and they'll go, well, you know, no one said anything and your warranty's up. Right, right. Well, there's, there's, the key word is punch list. Yes. So- when your landscape is done, you should walk the landscape with your contractor. Now, I do a walk with my clients as well, and my walk is just supposed to go over again what the plants are going to do. However, my walks turn into which plants have died, you know, and the ones that need to be replaced. But when you walk through with your contractor when the job is technically done and you have not paid the very final payment, that's when a punch list of what still needs to be done needs to be done. Right. And it's the same time at the walkthrough. It would be a, it would be advantageous to find out once the contractor leaves or once um, what is the responsibility? What do you have to do to maintain it and take care of it? Because right. the truth is plants and a landscape doesn't take care of itself. It's not this magic thing that you put it in, water it a little bit, and then you forget about it and it, and it does its own merry thing. It doesn't. You it, have to stay on top of it. You do. And so importantly is that before that contractor and the crew leave the job, you need to know how to work your irrigation clock and you need to know how to work your uh, timer for your lights. And these are things the contractor needs to tell you. Plus you need to know what to set them at and how to set them. Exactly. And then for example, a perfect example is right now, if you are planting and, and we're in Northern California and it's, it's a kind of a dreadful time to be planting when it's this hot. But if you are, you're going to have to set your clock, the timer that's going to water your plants may be set to water once or twice a day to keep them for the first two weeks to keep the soil and the plant moist. After that, and when the soil become, is, is all percolated through and kind of moist, you can start cutting back on some of the water. But if you don't, and no one checks the timer or you check how long you're watering for, you can either kill the plant because it doesn't get enough water or invariably what I've seen is they keep watering it for months on end twice a day and you drown the plant and the plant literally rots. Well, that's exactly what happened recently. We had a new landscape go in, huge landscape, and that my clients went out of town. And because we went to the high temperatures, the contractor actually set the clock for 20 minutes twice a day, every day. Eight days later, the clients came back and a third of the plants were dead. This is what happens. When you put plants on a drip system and it's dripping nearly a gallon of water a day and you've got clay soil, it's not going anywhere. Nope. So you can overwater. Plus, we've been using a lot of the more drought-tolerant grasses, the nomo, fescue, the carathia. Those are grasses that take half the amount of water. So, yes, it's important that they they get water, but overwatering can kill a plant just as fast as underwatering. 
Absolutely. And in fact, a lot of the nurseries will tell you that when people bring them back, bring the plants back, or they go to see, you know, if they have a service where they'll come to your landscape and look and see what the problem is, most of the time it is over water. You kill them with kindness. Yet the, the top of the soil, and again, and Roberta and I had talked to you, you know, earlier about mulching to keep the soil insulated, but a lot of people, the soil is, is barren. You look at it and the top layer looks dry as a bone, but underneath is still wet. And so people see the top layer is dry and they figure, oh, well, I got to water it some more and they give it more water. And what's happening is you're just underneath is still soaking wet. And all you're doing is just adding more and more water until the root zone doesn't even know what to do with it. And it begins to mold. It begins to mold. And also another thing, if you're in a place that has high heat during the day, if you set your sprinklers or or mainly sprinklers, this is mainly for sprinklers. Um, if you have a lawn, whether it's drought tolerant or normal lawn, you water usually twice short intervals, usually at midnight, you know, when it's not sunny. But if you wait too long and put the other, let's say, five minute interval, let's say it's 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., what happens here where we're at by 8, 9 a.m., it's in the 70s. And so that moisture and the warmth is a perfect way to grow fungus and lawns die with fungus. Right. So, I, yeah. Funny story. This was years ago. This was like 30 years ago when we used to do design build. We would design it and then we were doing our own contracting. And I remember putting in a sod lawn and instructing the clients that for the first two weeks, they have to keep it well watered. And um, they basically, what had happened was um, the wife would get up and water and then the husband and, and it would look dry and then the husband would water and then the, the, they would work on different schedules. So then he'd come home and it looked dry. So he'd water. And when, when we finally, after about a month, they called us because the lawn was dead. And I remember coming out there and literally you stand on the lawn and we sunk like six feet because it was like a soggy bog because the minute it turned brown, they thought again, it wasn't getting enough water. So they turned on the sprinklers again. So if you can imagine, it not only was overwatered, but it was it had so much on the top of it. It was brown, but it wasn't brown because it was dead. It was brown because it had um, floating algae and mold from, yeah. uh, from the water. It had turned into a big swamp. Yeah. You know, with um, the age of technology that we're in and places like YouTube and Google, anything that you have a question about, you can find an answer to. And um, where we are in Northern California, I've spoken and actually done um, workshops with the sod farm, the local sod farm that we use, and, and talk to the people that actually formulate the seeds. So they know and they're happy to tell you they want your lawn to live or they want your plants to live. They'll tell you what to do, how to do it, what zone you're in. So it's OK to reach out. Not all the landscapers, you know, if they're putting in a new type of grass that they're not used to, they may not know. So it's, you know, again, it's like it's not like you're being your own project manager, but it, it's good to be informed. And even professionals, I, I've been in, in the business 44 years, and there are times like when Carapia came out, that was a, a uh, alternative to lawn um, that's drought tolerant. Um, and I was told by the manufacturer, oh, sure, you can use it in a shadier environment. And we wound up designing it in, and it went in there. Anything that was in the full sun 
thriving, looked gorgeous, growing like a weed. Anything that was in filtered sunlight was just dying left and right. And it turns out, even though the manufacturer says that carapia can grow in the shade or in filtered sunlight, it can't, it doesn't thrive. So we've learned over the years, and you know, as I said, by trial and error and everything I learned, now I tell people, yes, carapia is great, but don't use it in the shade because it's not going to do well. These are the these are the foibles that we talk about, and it's not that we've you know gone in ignorant, but in when there are new products and materials like this, you know we don't know until we know. So, I mean, another example is a tree. You know, I remember years ago um, when I was in school, uh, one of the in horticulture, one of the favorite trees of a lot of the professors and the city of Davis was the Chinese tallow, the sapium saviferum. And they said, you know, it's a great shade tree. It's maintenance free. You don't have to worry about it. Well, there's a community in Davis, which is all solar and everything. And this was years ago. It's called Village Homes. And so because the, the tallow tree was touted as one of the best trees for, you know, street trees and everything, they planted the whole area of Village Homes in tallow trees. Well, Yes, initially the tallow tree is great, but at the seven year mark, the roots of the tallow, for some reason, start to grow up onto the surface. They start to heave. And so what happens, and this is, this is across the boards, they started cracking concrete, cracking um, curbs, cracking sidewalks, cracking driveways. Just all of these places where they were planting them as street trees were being destroyed by the roots at about the seven or eight year mark. So now we all discovered that at about the seven year mark, these trees, they're not the miracle tree, they're a nightmare tree. And so Village Homes had to not only take it, take all the trees out, but they had to replace all the sidewalks, all the curbing, a lot of the, the, the streets. And I'll go into neighborhoods, including my, my own, and you'll see these tallow trees with the roots sitting on the surface, heaving everything in sight. And you just kind of cringe because they were the, the go-to tree. Everyone wanted one. Yeah, we, uh, well, first of all, the, the most uh, destructive tree that you could possibly plant near any foundation or driveway is a liquid amber. Okay, yes. so, you know, sweet gum, beautiful fall color, but don't do it. Um, in fact, in the city of Sacramento, you, you really can't pull out a tree, a ground tree, unless you, you know, check with them. And our oaks are protected as well. But I remember talking to the city arborist back then, and I, I mentioned Modesto, uh, I mentioned the liquid amber, and he said, take it out. I don't care what caliper it is. I don't care how big, take it out because they have to replace the sidewalks. Now, just like what you were saying in my area and our houses were built in the 1950s, the recommended tree was the Modesto ash. Well, yes. the Modesto ash has a 55 year life. There are some that live longer, but now it's way past 55 years. We've all had to take them out. They've become brittle and, um, and, you know, the city said, nope, that's your tree. So we had to take them out. So, you know, planting a tree, like I said, it's like adopting a child. You're going to have that tree's going to live far past your lifetime. So you yep. need to know what it's going to do, where you're going to put it and um, what the root system is like. And sometimes you have to accept the fact that things change, even things that everyone touted is the miracle that is the best thing, this works, this works. Later on, it's it's later. And I mean, we find that with drugs. We find, you know, and I'm not talking about illegal drugs. I'm talking about medicinal drugs where 
things that, that um, doctors had touted in the past was the miracle drug and would cure and this and that. And, and as the studies came and years, years developed, they found, oh my God, it's a nightmare. And they take it off the market. We have that in our industry, products that everyone touted as great. And then as years went on and we found it wasn't the miracle product, it, it's, it's a nightmare and, they, and you wind up taking it off the shelves and not using it. Roundup's a perfect example of that. Right, right. Yeah, I was going to say the good news is it doesn't kill you, but Roundup, um, you know, Roundup is quite a problem, and uh, we could talk a whole show on that because where we are, we have a very, very invasive type of grass called Bermuda grass, and unless you solarize it over two particular months in the summer, and I mean really black plastic solarized, you're going to deal with it the rest of your life and right. landscape. And um, it is a glyphosate, and it is a nasty, nasty chemical, and it's been used oh, pretty much like you use Windex in the household. So um, that is something that you have to watch. But we could do a whole show on chemicals and uh, a natural way. I haven't found a natural way to get rid of Bermuda grass. Honestly, I was thinking once, okay, every plant, every species, there's got to be a good side somewhere. And I thought, well, Bermuda grass, well, what if – what if I was hiking and I tripped and I fell off a cliff and there was some Bermuda grass hanging there and I grabbed onto it? You know what happened? It breaks at the joints. <laughs> so yeah. I still haven't found anything redeeming about Bermuda grass. It's and, true. And the root zone can go down six feet. Six so feet. when yeah. you think you've killed it on the top, the roots are still active and they're viable. No, yeah. it's 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 very scary. And as I said, in, in our industry, as with any industry, there are things that people talk about and tout and say it's great. Like, um, do you remember where everyone used, uh, what was the vitamin B1? B12 or B1? B oh, for the plants? For the plants. I, yeah, B1, B1 or B12, something like that. Yeah, B12. Uh, yeah, it was vitamin B12, which was supposed to be really good. And, and later tests, years later, they did tests and said it does nothing. It has no effect on the plant whatsoever, but it was vitamin B12 was everyone was, you would, you would hear, this was like 20 years ago, would say, oh, you have to add it when you're planting. You have to add it to everything. You have to use vitamin B12 because it's so beneficial to the plants. And now they come out and they say, basically, it has no effect whatsoever. Right. So in effect, if you talk to your plants and love them up, you will be saving money and doing more for the plant than any B12. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope this has been informative. This is um, what we're going through. And if you're in the midst of a landscape or considering um, having one put in, it's a sign of the times and we just want you to be aware. And if anyone is listening out there on a regular basis and you have questions, I can't believe that you can't have a bunch of questions that you would like to ask. We love to answer questions. We do. And if you go to our website, which is digging deep dot blueberry dot net bl no you no blu rry and just take out the uh you blueberry dot net you will find us digging deep and you can ask questions so it's blueberry dot net not dot com and there's another digging deep that uh is hosted by um the lead singer of led zeppelin that's not our site words <laughs> <laughs> We're about landscaping, and we love to yak, we love to kibitz, and we especially love to uh, share knowledge so you don't end up um, paying for something you didn't want or having a problem you have to undo. Right. So, so I'm Glassman. And I'm Roberta Walker. 
And we are Digging Deep. Thanks for joining us.